This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hey, welcome to Travel Is Your Business, guys. Today we have a great show coming up. We have Sarah Palak, the Director of Travel PR of B. PCM, uh, which is a top international lifestyle PR firm. We're going to be talking about all good things about getting the word out there, some some great work that they do, of course, internationally um, with some premier, premier clients. And uh, you're going to want to listen in because uh, there's going to be some learning lessons. I promise you that. So buckle up. Our show starts right now. Hi, I'm Sarah Palak. I am director of travel PR at BPCM, which is an international lifestyle PR agency. My favorite thing about travel is getting to have new experiences, meeting new people, trying new food, going new places. From New York City, this is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry with Tavan Ball, technology thought leader and community builder, John Matson, digital director at Voyager HQ, and Samantha Shankman, reporter and producer. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to the show, guys. I'm one of your hosts, Puffin Ball, and joining me, of course, is Mr. John Matson. Hi there. How's it going? And we got Samantha Shankman back in the house. What's Ooh. happening? Hey, everyone. Happy to be back. Yeah. Happy to be with you all. Happy to have you back from Barcelona. Yeah, it's great to be back in New York. I have that energy. The energy here is crazy strong. Like, you get here and you're just mm. like, New York state of mind. Yeah. <laughs> Right off the rip. Good deal. And let's say hello to our guest, of course, to my left is Sarah Palak. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's start off as we like to do here, um, which is kind of giving our audience a uh, like a high-level overview, 30,000-foot drop of who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, I am the director of travel PR at a lifestyle agency in New York called BPCM. And so their clients range from beauty, fashion, um, men's and women's all across the board. But I run our actually travel wine and spirits department. So my clients range from huge hotel brands to individual hotel properties to destinations from, you know, regions to islands to um, to islands. Yeah, I have, mm. I have an island in the Caribbean that I work with. <laughs> terrible, terrible hard work. <laughs> Um, and then also I have wine and spirits clients as well on the other side. So Sarah, a lot of your clients are luxury clients. Do you only work with luxury clients? And if so, why? Yes, actually, we kind of only do work with luxury, which was a choice, but not necessarily luxury being the traditional way of looking at it. But I do think that there's a lot of interesting things to do in that space with luxury brands because... I mean, A, they have budgets to be creative and do interesting things, which from my side is fun because you're not just sort of put in a little box of what you can do. But then also um, the experiences they have to offer to guests and to journalists and and the stories we can tell are really exciting. And I know that you um, were actually the person who started BPCM's um, travel arm. What was that like or what were you doing before? What was that like coming into a fashion house and kind of getting their travel PR started? I'd imagine that's almost like starting a new company, even though it's within this existing infrastructure. Yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, the great thing is that the the partners of BPCM are, are super supportive of it. They're both world travelers. One, Vanessa, is from Germany and one, Carrie, is from California but her family is Italian and they're all travel was a big part of both of their lives so they actually had 
one before I started one off partnership with uh, Morocco that I did a special project for and then really realized how fun that was and how much there was a connection between travel and fashion and what they could do for brands. So then they started talking to a actually Starwood brand at the time and I was working at another firm with a working on a different Starwood brand. And so then conversations started and because they wanted to sign this client, they basically brought me in to run that account and then to build the whole department. You you casually mentioned a project for Morocco. Now, <laughs> yes. that is not a company. <laughs> that that no. is a, destination. a country. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm wondering now uh, you know, you mentioned a private island, Morocco. How does it work between the work that you're doing with um clients like a Starwood mm-hmm. versus, which is Marriott now. M- yeah, Marriott, but and and governments and and properties like islands and countries. It's funny. In some ways, it's obviously very different in terms of scale and and what the individual goals are. But then a lot of it's really similar because so much of the way people talk about travel now is very destination focused. So it works very similarly. When we talk about a hotel, a lot of it is the, the city that you're going to. You don't go to a hotel just to sit inside the room. You go to experience a place. So I think that that ties in a lot. But for example, you know, for Morocco, it was about raising awareness and getting Americans to travel there more and, and to build uh, different associations with the destination. So uh, that was before I started, but they did uh, fashion partnerships and brought some really interesting people there to do this program. So that really raised awareness, but also got different people talking about it. So it was in fashion magazines and lifestyle books and, and, and blogs and social media, as opposed to just being in the pages of travel magazines. Funny enough, I'm actually going in three weeks. Really? Yeah, I'm going to Marrakesh for a wedding. Oh, awesome. So now I'm going to have to, off mic, I'm going to have to get some suggestions Oh, definitely. <laughs> I have a pretty serious Google map, so. I, I could only imagine how serious <laughs> this is going to be. Good. A lot. I mean, first off, social media didn't really exist, or brands were definitely wary of using it. It was a scary new thing. And I remember when we first started suggesting that they get Instagram or get Twitter, and it was like very hesitant because it's so scary Mm -hmm. to to have to put your voice out in that way and I think that now of course it's just such a big part of it and then also there's a lot of things that were new like I feel so old when I talk about projects that I came up with but we did a street style photography series at W where we you know actually did an exhibit of photos in a hotel which now it's like street style photography isn't even really cool anymore but then it was like the hip new cool thing Mm -hmm. and the idea of taking something off off the website and on to the you know into a hotel was such a crazy new idea and now it's sort of like that's old hat so it's funny to see how things like that have changed technology wise and then also just I think globalization and how people communicate so much more the way we talk about travel is so different well speaking about platforms um from a discovery standpoint, travel is very different than purchasing clothes um, or product. What what are the platforms that you're focusing on that you're you're most bullish on and that you're spending the most um, resources? Um, I think there's two sides from the traditional PR side. I think traditional PR now does really involve a lot of digital. Yeah. It's not just print media the way people, I think that's what they think of traditional PR as. Mm-hmm. Um, broadcast too, although broadcast is very difficult for luxury brands just because it's by its nature a bit more democratic so it, mm-hmm. it that's an issue for us but um so there's that side of it the you know websites and websites of publications and then print publications but then also a lot into social media we have a full digital team at our company that we work 
my department works really close with in mm -hmm. terms of um, promoting our clients and sharing things. Working with um, social influencers is a huge Absolutely. deal for a lot of our brands. Um, Do you find those one off or are you uh, working with different platforms? Um, there's a couple platforms that we work with that help, but then a lot of it is one-off because mm -hmm. a lot of times what we do, I mean, our digital department does a lot of bigger campaigns for brands. Um, we do a lot of small one-off experiences with people. Certain, it, It's really based on the uh, goals of the client. But yeah, a lot of it's more one-off because it's individual travel experiences. Yeah. In the same way when we do press trips, we try and keep it really small. If you send you know, a gaggle of bloggers somewhere, it really changes the way they experience a destination or a city or a hotel or anything. It becomes sort of like a, like a bachelorette party or something, as yeah. opposed to going and actually getting an interesting, authentic look at a place. On social, which, which are the priority platforms? Uh, we use Instagram a lot, I think just because visually it's it makes right, a yeah. lot of sense for travel. Um, we still use Twitter, but the hotels, it's mm -hmm. different. There's also a lot of language barriers, which is difficult to communicate with a bigger audience. And so many of our clients are not based in the U.S. and, and are not English speaking. Um, there's also a lot of brands still use Pinterest, I think, save is good for saving and sharing and that sort of thing. Um, what about Snapchat? Is that like ever going to be a, a thing with influencers? Because mm -hmm. I feel like... I know that there are some people that maybe are like considered influencers on Snapchat, but is that something that brands even want to think about or care about? Well, I think now stories has Instagram stories has weirdly ah, taken a lot of that. It up, right? I know. Crazy. And I think it's a little rude that they stole the same name that uh, Snapchat yeah. uses. I'm actually but... resisting um, posting on Instagram stories still. Cause mm. I was like, you know, I got, yeah, I got really cozied up with Snapchat, and I feel really bad for moving. Like, that's yeah. literally the only reason I'm still on Snapchat is because I feel bad. That's funny. <laughs> You're a very loyal user. Yeah, yeah. You're their dream user. Well, you know, my, my, my little sister works in tech PR, actually, and she told me that she uses both platforms for different reasons. Tell me. Snapchat is for her friends. It's for it's it's not branded. It's not it doesn't matter. She does whatever she wants. She communicates very freely on it. Okay. Instagram is much more people she works with follow her. Friends, people see that more. So, so it's that, still more filtered than Exactly. So mm. even her stories are a bit more she knows people might see them, so she's a bit more cautious about what she does. Is that puts because people it. have to yeah, I guess they have to actively seek you out on Snapchat and follow you, right? So they right. have to find you by a phone number or your your username directly. And you can also direct send videos to certain people Correct, or, you right. know what it's I mean? You can like really a... interact with individuals as opposed to just putting it all out there for anyone. See, who I don't even you. know that you can't do that with Instagram stories because I've never tried it. Actually, I, I don't do stories either though. So, but I feel like it's more in the nature of Snapchat to do that. Whereas stories is much more about sharing it with everyone to see, you know, how fabulous you I are. I do like that uh, Snapchat started doing uh, like events and things. So you could do a combined stories. So you can invite – so the four of us can be snapping on the same story and kind of collect it, them all together. I think that's huge for events. And yeah. And you know what Instagram does is you can actually – if you click on a location or even like a restaurant, you can see all the people who have done mm. a live story and tagged it there. The whole map, So right? you can actually see like what's happening in a place Instagram at that or moment. Snapchat? Yeah. I think it's on Instagram. Oh, crap. I thought that was Snap. Well, and then Snapchat has the map say, where you can see where your friends here. are. Yeah, that's a uh, – Snapchat should have sold when they could. I don't know. It's a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah, but he just married Miranda Kerr, so I don't think so he's cool. doing so yeah, terribly. We're good. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> I, have a, I have a hypothesis why Snapchats uh, would be valuable. Please share with us, I John. Think, I think it's facial recognition. 
Mm. Because I don't think there's any app that's been successful on everybody identifying what the center of their face is <gasps> as often as Snapchat has for okay. as long as they have. So if they have that data set, then I imagine that they have a good idea of how people are reacting to ads served to them and other things. Mm. Oh, interesting. So you're talking about um, like recognizing like mannerisms and expressions. Mm-hmm. So you could take the emotional cues and wow. Interesting. Do you, is it that is it that good? Like, who's to say? I don't who's know. Who's to say? <laughs> well, John's to say. John's I think, uh, all I know is John that it's the only one that'll get somebody to tap on their face that many times. That's exactly. good. Exactly. You have to put it in the form of your face. It's like you're taking a passport photo. Exactly. Yeah. When else are you doing that on your phone? I mean, a lot of people use Snapchat just for the filters. So people mm-hmm. are, I mean, using it all the time at least. I have a friend who's using Instagram stories, but she uploads pictures from her camera roll so she'll be posting pictures of like a vacation that she took in the past Mm -hmm. or her child when she's not with her child and like you can't do that it's about to be like live you can't pretend you're in the hamptons if you're in new york (laughs) and she was like i thought everyone did that so is that faux pas like is your instagram live for live i mean it offends you so very much (laughs) much terrible at later i always later gram basically Always, because I just always forget. I'm, I'm like enjoying it while I'm but there. But it's one thing to later, Graham. It's another thing the later story. Valid. No, I have Or no also idea. to pretend that you're somewhere that you're not. It's one thing to say, oh, I just went to this place. I didn't post it. I'm posting it shortly thereafter. But I've seen people who like, you know where they are. Like they're in an they're office like somewhere. And yeah, they're, they're like, like right I'm here on the beach. <laughs> no, you're not. You're just lying now. Come on. So there's a difference. <laughs> well, to bring it back to something a little bit more something different than Instagram stories. Something that we were talking about earlier that I thought was really interesting was that you were saying a lot of the clients um, know about social media, they're interested in it, but that print is really still like the holy grail of where they want to be. Interesting. Yes, which we... And and certain stories make sense for certain places. Um, You know, for example, you can get... You know, it does look beautiful to have a photo and Mm -hmm. a story and your name in big print on a page. But then, you know, online you can do uh, slideshows and additional photos and, of course, a lot more copy. Um, It's also editable, which is really amazing because there's always some issue with the way the brand name is written or something that we have to, from the PR side, change, especially with a lot of brands that I have that work with. um, I work with the Luxury Collection, which is a Marriott brand. And so they're the the nomenclature of their hotels is, you know, the Gritty Palace, a luxury collection hotel, Venice. A lot of print publications, because they have a small amount of space, want to just cut it out and not put the luxury collection in. But it's really integral to the hotel and how it operates and, and not even just from a branding side. So it's nice online that you can actually get content that's really what they want and need and gives the full story, which is a lot of times you just can't in print. All right, perfect. I think this is a good time to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, more with Sarah Pollack of BPCM. Do you remember what we used to say about running? Oh, somebody bigger had to chase you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'm BJ Smith, and that's exactly how I felt about running most of my life. That was until one fall day in 2011. I was chasing my son in the backyard when... Something had to change. This was the beginning of my journey to becoming a runner. One that would take me from couch to marathon in less than two years. Now I'm setting my sights higher. 
This is 16 Weeks, a new podcast from Mouth Media Network, following me on my journey to get into shape while keeping up my obligations at work and still being there for my family. And I'm not doing it alone. My name is Keith Smart. I won a silver medal in Beijing. I'm a sport and exercise psychologist at ECU. Coach athletes all over the world. and I'll talk with experts about challenges all runners face, like figuring out how to make time to run, what to eat, and how to train. You got so dehydrated. Your heart rate went up and it felt like you were working so hard. Everything's trainable, whether it's run form, strength. That's all trainable, and so is our thinking. Subscribe now to 16 Weeks on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you find great podcasts. Together, we can do this. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. All right. Welcome back, guys, to Travel Is Your Business. Um, Of course, we're here with Sarah Palak, Director of Travel PR of BPCM. So... Before we went into the break, we were talking a little bit, um, Sam had mentioned um, how print is still a big aspect of your client's desires, wants, and, you know, it's a nice little keepsake. And, of course, they're beautiful, beautiful pictures are nice in print. Um, That kind of reminds me of how, like, or, or makes me think about how travel PR is so wildly different than selling a product or a tangible good. Um, And I'm wondering if you could kind of unfold a little bit um, the 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 nuances in travel that might be very specific to this industry on how you do your work and highlight your clients? Definitely. Um, Well, I think one key aspect of it is while it is trend driven, there's, it's different than in fashion. Whereas there's each season, there's something new and you want to buy something from that season and it's on a page and you want that jacket or those shoes and you get it then, because if you don't get it, then it's not around next season. Whereas with travel, Mm. there's a lot of planning that goes on and someone might read something Sam and I actually talked about this before that you could um you could see a magazine article about Russia and yeah. you that trip you might not go on it for 10 years and but it, Russia's it, still there right exactly. <laughs> exactly and so you wait until you can mm-hmm. you plan that trip and you can do it even it in seeds, the seeds yeah right and even in the short term of it takes the time to you know have the money to do it but then also to book a flight find time that you can take travel find the hotel get the visa there's so many aspects that go into it it's not just spending a few hundred dollars on an item of clothing so I think that has a huge effect on why it's different. These days, it's big to capture these micro moments. Um, and, and that's particularly true in luxury product. I'm wondering how you guys are identifying micro moments in someone's decision process or their life or lifestyle, uh, which you're able to target and uh, take advantage of. Well, I think a lot of what we do is also, I said earlier, about telling a destination story as as opposed to just a hotel. And that's something that's changed a lot in media is you don't often see big features on a hotel anymore unless it's something huge. You know, a huge, historic, famous hotel is renovated. A lot more, it's much more destination-focused stories, which is actually good for us, I think, because then you're selling people on this 
whole place that they're going. So that way it's not, you don't have to focus on one little thing that might pique their interest, like a, a beautiful room, but it's, you have that, but it's also there's, you know, this food festival that's happening there, or there's this cool cultural experience that you would only get to understand and be a part of if you went and if you go during this time or you do this thing. So I think it kind of capitalizes on what all the little bits that they are excited about or interest them can kind of all come together as opposed to focusing on just one thing. But are you taking multiple data points? So if a user is interacting on, say, Facebook or um, or Instagram or just on, on websites overall, are you, are you mapping different, um, I guess, engagement points with whether it's destinations or luxury products and trying to map a, a profile around people? We don't, but s- some brands do. Okay. So obviously bigger brands have, I mean, if you think about it, brands like, Marriott and Starwood have the biggest luxury data. Yeah. Yeah, And they have the biggest hotel brands in the world. They have more and and more hotels Mm -hmm. anywhere in the world. And so many life experiences happen in hotels. So they actually know a lot more about you than really any other entity does, but they don't, luckily they don't share that information or use anything other than really curating their guest experience. So they, you know, they know when your anniversary is and when, you know, how old your kids are because you celebrated your baby moon there or you, you know, you got married or you have had multiple anniversaries. So they actually can really curate a lot. So I think that just the data that they have alone, but then also, yeah, how you interact on what pages you like on, on Facebook Mm -hmm. or who you follow on Instagram or, you know, all the time I'll get followed by random hotels or brands in cities because they see that I'm doing a lot there. Exactly. I think it's an interesting, like, you know, we're talking about data a little bit. And I think an interesting question is, uh, how do you measure the work that you do? How are you able to tell your client that... (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) That That this is working. (laughs) Yeah, our efforts are, are culminating in something. Is there any way to know? Well, there's, I think there's two levels of what the end game is, is there's brand awareness and positioning. So generally making this seem like a a cool brand, a luxury brand and an aspirational experience. And then there's other side of physically, you know, heads in beds. How much are you selling? How many room nights are booked? That sort of thing. And it's incredibly hard to show that PR directly relates to people booking. Certain sites, there's click-throughs and if there's uh, special promotions or specific programs that we're we're sharing, Mm -hmm. obviously they can see if people are really reacting to that, booking it, asking about it, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But generally... You know, it's it's hard. But for example, we work with some properties in Greece and their high season is really just like the three months in the summer. So we really do a big push of how do we get that excitement? Because the story runs in December is just not as helpful to them. So we really do have to sort of focus when we do it. But it and it helps. But sometimes it's very hard to measure exactly because a lot of it is just kind of getting the word out there and sharing the news with more people and the right kind of people. Mm. You mentioned that you work with luxury clients. And one of the benefits of that is that they have a bigger budget uh, to work with. And so you can do more creative um, projects. Mm -hmm. What's a really creative kind of uh, uh, initiative that you've done or, you know, one of your favorite kind of PR projects that you've done recently? Well, one of my favorite things is from the more brand side, individual properties are super exciting, but I think because of the destinations and the the places that they are, and it's that's so dynamic, but I think brands are actually really 
cool because you're sharing a, a story with people about what it is and why these hotels are together or why this group works the way that it does. So we work with several groups. We work with Roccaforte Hotels. We work with Societe de Ben de Mer in Monaco, which is a group of five different hotels and restaurants and, and um, spas and, and everything. And then also with the luxury collection. And so I think the bigger brand projects that we do to sort of creatively link properties that people don't know are a part of the same group. You know, they'll know one hotel, but they won't know um, that that hotel is linked to this other hotel and they're all a part of one group. So um, trying to think of some of the exciting ones we've done. We've done a lot with the luxury collection because they really let us be super creative. So a lot of brand partners where we've worked with, worked with Waris Alawalia, who's um, mm-hmm. a jewelry designer and an actor and philanthropist, sort of man around town. Didn't Waris have an issue with immigration like a year or two ago in South America? Uh, Mexico. It was Mexico. Mm-hmm. That was he, a big thing. It was a big thing. He's had it. He Especially also, when tensions were so high too. Yeah. I mean, he's, there's, it's, yeah, it's, I love Warris No, he's an amazing guy, but yeah, he has had trouble because there's this weird turban fear that yeah. people have, and he's yeah. he's Sikh, and he's yeah. But he had a, a big issue getting back in, from Mexico. Um, Sorry to derail that. No, <laughs> no, but we've done really amazing projects with him because he is such a he's a very culturally aware, interesting, smart mm-hmm. guy who does a lot of different things. But we did one of our cool projects with him for the luxury collection was to link individual properties across the U.S. to let people know they're all part of the brand. Was we worked with him? He had just been in I Am Love with Tilda Swinton and Luca Guadagnino was the director, so he actually worked with them to create a film for us. So Luca directed it. Uh, Tilda and Warris wrote it together and the model Agnes Dean starred in it and it was just a little short film it was you know it was now it was five six years ago so it's just when brand films were starting to get cool but no travel brands had really done anything like that and so it was this really beautiful film just of a love story of her kind of traveling across the country and following his love letters to find him and it really showed you how amazing these properties are and how diverse they are. So you realize that the brand has, you know, a ski resort in Vermont, but it also has, you know, this beautiful beachfront oasis in Hawaii. So it was a fun thing to get to go beyond just pitching individual hotels. There, there's a huge interaction between fashion and travel uh, when mm-hmm. it comes to PR and collaboration. Uh, we recently had uh, Marcy Allen of Mac Presents on our Fashion Is Your Business show, and uh, she brokers uh, deals between um, celebrity musicians and large brands, fashion okay. brands. Um, can you walk through some collaborative efforts like you did with Waris that um, that maybe even some smaller brands can initiate, whether it's with influencers or this and that? What are, what are like a really good mix between industries that you're seeing? Um, definitely a lot of interaction between fashion and travel. I think because travel is so broad and fashion lets it go a bit more niche and get into a specific area because travel is everything. It's, it's food, it's hotels, it's, it's drinks, it's this, it's so many different things that it's helpful to kind of tie it into a specific thing. And obviously a lot of those people are super interesting, pressworthy, have a lot of followers. So that's helpful. Um, but I think for brands, big and small, micro-influencers is what we're seeing a lot more yeah, of. same. Is yeah. that, that it's not all about the numbers if those numbers aren't relevant to you, particularly with luxury brands, but with all brands. It's why do you, why have this fashion blogger who's... I think the, 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 the most relevant example here is the Kate Upton one, right? Where mm-hmm. people were pouring money into Kate Upton trying to reach a female demographic and 
they realize that, okay, well, 90% of our followers are dudes that, you know, right. <laughs> like just arbitrarily liking stuff and, you know, just following her because it's, you know. Right. Well, and we've mm-hmm. noticed that a lot of, you know, just because someone has a million followers, who are they? A yeah. lot of it, you know, if it's some fashion blogger, a lot of it's, you know, like teen girls who are mm-hmm. not booking, they're not the people making travel decisions. Yeah. But if you, particularly with luxury, we work with the Island of Mystique, that they don't want, their goal is not to just have everyone come there. It's supposed to be a really special, exclusive, mm-hmm. you know, experience that's very secure and private. Nice. So if you want, but we still want new people to come. So it's the idea of how do we find Where the right Mystique? kind of people. It's in the Caribbean. It's okay. in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Difficult to get to? No, super easy. It's amazing. It's it's. What's what's the path? I'm just curious now. <laughs> you go through either St. Lucia or Barbados. Okay. And then you take a little, like their private plane to the island. It's Ooh. all villas. So you just rent these amazing villas. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. Been meaning to go on a good seaplane trip. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. It's like it's a private island, but it still feels very much more like a family atmosphere because everyone yeah. hangs out. So there's, I mean, crazy celebrities are there. Princess Margaret had a house there, you know. So it's always been like the a cool place to go, yeah. but because it's so private and special that you go down to the cocktail party on Tuesday night and everyone is there and everyone's sort of yeah. on the same playing field you know it's not like there's a vip area no it's no like yeah. everyone's just hanging out it has that great island feel but that really plays into who we want to bring there because you right. don't want they don't want paparazzi they don't want anyone who's gonna you know be a weird fangirl and take photos of people the whole point is supposed to be everyone just enjoying this island so Very we cool. have to yeah think about who we interact with who are the right kind of people it's not all about numbers it's the right followers going real quick to micro influencers so Again, I'm, I see that trend heavy right now is mm-hmm. going to micro-influencers. In all industries. And there's, uh, there's could we data define analytics. A, sorry, could we mm-hmm. define a micro-influencer? So a micro-influencer could be yourself or me or it could be anyone that actually influences purchasing behavior. Um, and it doesn't matter whether there's 100 followers behind it or like 1,000 or 10,000. So you're, you're seeing a departure from people – um, or brands spending on these mega influencers like a, a, a Kendall Jenner or something like that. Um, actually, she's a bad example because her ROI is insane. But overall, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but overall, you're seeing a departure from like these huge, huge names that have like five, mm. ten million in spend, where you could take a budget and basically spray it amongst mm. maybe like thirty, forty different people. Um, that give you a more targeted reach. There's a whole, there's whole like tech companies now sp- like popping up doing this. Actually, our, mm-hmm. our favorite yeah. is MuseFind. Yeah. Um, that for for fashion brand uh, mm-hmm. side of things. I don't. Are you familiar with them by chance? MuseFind. No, we've worked. With, I mean, our digital department probably mm-hmm. is. Okay. I haven't worked with them though. You should check out Cooperatize as well. They're a Voyager member, but they focus. Oh, I've on... heard of that. Oh yeah, the, yeah. That's on yeah. the travel specific. Area? Yeah, they work in our space, but they Cooperatize. focus Cooperatize. They and what do they do? DM, uh, they connect DMOs and tourism boards to DMOs, destination marketing organizations, um, with uh, influencers that would um, help them with engagement. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, I mean, there's other moves also. I find like there's like a, a lot of content personalization talks mm-hmm. in terms of helping destinations in that capacity, um, trying to figure out like how to personalized content on their website mm-hmm. or like their yeah. social pages based on whoever they're engaging with um other travel companies well how, like do you, how do you how do you how do you view ugc user generated content yeah um so things like olympic or curalate and and throwing it on your website and and you know 
It, it depends. Some brands are into it, some are not. It really depends on the, the type of content and the brand, what makes sense. For some, um, we work with Rocco Forte Hotels and they use their hashtag RF Insiders. Mm-hmm. And they share a lot of that content because it's, you know, people's individual experiences at their properties. And yeah. I think that brings it to life so much more. But they're a, you know, they're one of the most successful luxury brands in Europe. They have the most incredible hotels, famous ones. You know, they have Balmoral in Edinburgh and they have Browns in London, but they also are ultimately a family company. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. Sir Rocco Forte owns the company and both of his daughters work there and now his son is starting to work there. So mm-hmm. I think it really for them really helps drive that home of that sort of smaller experience. It's more personalized. They're not trying to be a huge brand. They want to keep that. Whereas some other brands, it's hard because there's so many people going there. The content is so varied. How much do you really want to share all of that because it's not always luxury you know there's for every person that's having this really you know unique special indigenous experience and appreciating the the nuances of the destination there's someone who's you know spraying champagne and having you know a crazy party and being totally unaware of where they are and what they're doing so there's that balance too of what you're getting we're talking about what larger brands really um top level destinations are doing but i would imagine that there's some lessons in here for smaller companies and brands um i mean even it do you have any advice for a smaller brand or a smaller company that's just starting their pr what can they learn from these large luxury brands who are doing a really great job Um, a lot, definitely. And I think, you know, while we do work with a lot of big brands, I also think smaller ones are exciting because you can, one of the things that we really look for and are excited about are brands that will let us really get involved as opposed to they come with their fully fleshed plan of this is what we're doing this year. And then just tack PR on at the end of it, which is really not the best way to work. We work together, come up with concepts, what you should, you know, obviously your, what you plan on releasing or opening or those sorts of business side things yes of course that part's more or less set in stone but all the rest of it we can really help shape to make it as effective as possible and PR goes far beyond just you know a a placement on a page or a picture on online it's really how you communicate about your company and and what you're doing and why so I think that is making sure that you engage PR early and have a PR team that's really a an extension of you, a partner. It shouldn't just be these people you throw things at. It should really be, you should have a relationship with them where you feel like you can bounce ideas off of them and figure out what makes the most sense and how to operate as opposed to, you know, just giving the information out and understanding that they should be the the experts. They should know this inside and out and give you honest feedback. I think that's something that I always really try to do of, okay, this thing that you really want to do, it, it's not going to go in this one place or it doesn't make sense for this. Here's why, but this is the solution. This is what we can do that might even be more helpful or is a better way to explain what you're trying to achieve as opposed to trying to fit it into something that doesn't make sense. You're not going to get the response you want. You're not going to tell the story that you actually want. So I think that side and then just finding concrete goals of what are you actually trying to achieve? What's the end game? So then they can help you, your PR team can help you get to that point and tell you the best roadmap to get there. Interesting. What would you, or what are some things that a company should look for when they're looking to partner with a PR brand? Um, I imagine size, the type of, what are some criteria that you're going to be looking for? Um, 
there are, there are definitely more concrete criteria like that. Do you want a, a, a small team that you work with very closely? Uh, it depends on what stage you are in your business. If you are planning to launch, I think it's great to engage PR before that even happens. So they can, you know, it's amazing how moving a launch date one month or time to something else or something can make a huge difference on how difference on how a company comes out and how they're perceived and and the reaction to them starting, um, which I think is incredibly important for a brand. Obviously, the first few months of whether you're starting a new brand or opening a new hotel are so important. Aside from those more technical things, I think is just people that you get along with and a partner that you feel can communicate your message. For me, if it's a brand that I don't feel passionate about or excited about discussing, it really makes a difference. So I try not to work with brands that I'm not like, no, this is really amazing because then I find ways to make other people understand that. If it's something Mm -hmm. that they don't really understand what you do or don't really care, but they're a big name company or they're so successful with other people, it doesn't make sense. It's better to go with someone small who gets it and is going to hustle and work hard and help you than someone who just, you know, has some other big names or big clients or they sound great, you know? Right. Because they're essentially playing telephone, right? Like they have to be able to pitch the company just as well as you do to them. Right. Sometimes even better. Sometimes better, better, yeah. 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 It's more organic. Yeah, and it has to be the quick pitch to get someone interested. Mm -hmm. And it's all about relationships and PR. It's that who you know and how you can share that because anyone can look up the email addresses of XYZ editor, writer, blogger. That part's not hard. It's building the relationship with that person so they read your email, so they care about what you're saying, that you know, you know, I really have to pay attention to the sort of content that these people put out on whatever format it is to make sure that I'm giving them something that makes sense for them, fits in, give them a story angle that's relevant to them. And so I think that too, you need to be careful of that and have someone who understands that. What does that look like? Um, So we talked about smaller hotels, smaller companies. What does that look like for a destination? You know, like if there's writers and report like journalists that are like always talking about Morocco or how do we, how do we find the right ones there? I mean, three years ago, Iceland started popping up like crazy. Right. right? And now, I mean, I think one out of two of my friends have been to Iceland. Seriously. Like, I mean, but five years ago, you would have never thought to ever go there. Yeah. And that was a constructed digital, um, uh, initiative that they, that they deployed. So yeah. Well, and I think it's a confluence of a lot of different factors. It was there was, you know, new direct flight routes that were really inexpensive. Well, they mm-hmm. subsidize the flights. Exactly. I mean, so the, they're putting the government <laughs> itself through money at the flights. Exactly. Yeah. But people don't and people don't even realize all that. They're just seeing like, oh, I can get to this place for 400 bucks yeah, it's from cheap. New York it's direct. Easy. Yeah. Who knew? A lot of people I don't even think realized how close I like where Iceland is. It seems so very foreign yeah. and <laughs> and it's really not that far. You can get there easily. Yep. So I think that and then it's a lot of different factors. It's, you know, marketing the destination, coming up with what are the interesting things? Why would you go there? What mm-hmm. would you do there? Making people be able to picture themselves at a destination and what they would do. So it's more about envisioning like the journalist enjoying themselves. Exactly. And a lot of what I do is creating the itineraries, building all of this, making these experiences Mm. that then we 
talk about and coming up with angles and what is a trend and why is this interesting and and doing tons of research and reading so much and understanding a destination. Um, of course, going there is always really helpful, <laughs> but also just a lot too, reading into yeah. it. What are other cultural things? What makes this place special and different? And then I think there's another side of Iceland did a great job of having fashion brands come and do their shoots there and, mm. and people were doing amazing things. Montclair just did an, a really awesome shoot there of the, you know, of their new line. And I think that helps the aspirational side, but just it looks so beautiful. So then people think they want to be there, but it has to come from to be super effective the way it was with Iceland yeah. or, or Morocco or other destinations is that it's coming from different places all at once. And it really it makes it seem exciting and different and interesting, but also totally accessible. And like, I could do that. I could go there. Okay, so with Iceland specifically, they we talked about them subsidizing flights and um, you know encouraging people to get there by easier routes and, and making it more affordable. Uh, what happens when they decide to okay, well, we're no longer going to do that because we're already kind of on the map. Is that something that happens, or is this something where uh, when you're guiding properties or uh, countries, governments uh, to deploy strategy that it is a forever strategy? Well, I think there's two sides. First is also infrastructure and making sure a destination is actually prepared for the influx of people that they're trying to get. Oh, yeah. So Cuba is a great example mm -hmm. of, you know, so is Americans, the Russian Olympics. Right. Like America's Americans can mm -hmm. travel, but are there actually hotels that can put them up? All these brands wanted to open in Cuba and it turns out that it's kind of hard to get running water and yeah. and the food that you need and and enough milk for everyone and well, also no worries not just... anymore. We're closing that right back up. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah, great news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, um, don't even worry about it. But I think there's that side of making sure whether it's a destination or a hotel yeah. that if you're going to bring people in that you're prepared to give them the level of service that you're promising. Yeah. Which sounds pretty basic, but it's not always. People don't think about it. They're like they just they want the people to come, but it's mm. no. You need to actually give them a great offering that will appeal to whatever group it is. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But then I also think that part of it, too, is, for example, with Iceland, is I think is also then empowering if you're a tourism board. Mm -hmm. There's the one side of getting people to come and think about the destination, but then also empowering smaller brands, hotels, people who are then driving that industry. The industry is not just the tourism board. Yeah. They work with some of the brands, but it's really those to make sure that there are hotels are still doing interesting things to appeal to different groups. You know, it's very different for a hotel or a destination to appeal to Americans as it is to, you know, even British, which you think are not so different, but they travel differently. They expect different things and levels of service. So. Is there a level of um, consulting that your company, your firm does when speaking to properties and, um, and governments about that journey? Yeah, I think consulting is a big part. And like I was saying earlier, that we like to really be involved from the beginning mm -hmm. because we can help shape so much of that, of the guest experience. And that's why we get really hands-on in terms of creating itineraries if we do a press trip or something, mm -hmm. is to making sure they're actually getting the best view of everything. Because yeah. sometimes when you're too close to something, you don't actually see what is amazing about it and what's, or you think certain things are super exciting and different. And it's like, you know everyone offers yoga classes like that shouldn't be what you rest your things on that's not that yeah. exciting but something else could be really cool and different that you don't even realize people would love to see you know um we went in september um almost a year ago now to nicaragua with a company um a, an agency a supercharge agency let me restart that sorry sorry mark 
we went about a year back, we went um, to Nicaragua along with a uh, digital agency called Supercharge. They basically take influencers um, and then match them up with product brands, go and do like a photo shoot this. And we went and recorded uh, for a destination podcast that we were piloting mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, I'm curious to hear, you know, we of course now have travel as your business. Uh, we've run down this path of um, maybe st- starting something more immersive in the travel space. Are you seeing um, podcasting become a part of the storyline when it comes to destinations? I think it definitely will be more, can be more. I think that for better or worse, there's a Mm -hmm. lot going on politically these days. Mm -hmm. But I think one thing that is good is it's become cool to be informed. People want to know more and be able to talk about things and have read all the articles and know what's going on. And I think that's extending to travel too. of even the um, my team makes fun of me. But I think the idea of being woke is actually really interesting in Mm -hmm. the travel space because I wish there was a better word because I feel kind of lame every time I use it in a professional. Stay woke, Sarah. But it's actually in certain ways it it describes a concept that doesn't really have another word. It's it's being aware of so many different aspects of how you interact with the world and yeah. i think that that is such a key part of travel and and knowing so many things so i think for sure podcasts are interesting and in sort of getting that more holistic information across how much of an effort are is your team or company um putting towards keeping your eye and ears on culture overall a lot it's a huge part of what we do um for travel whether it's just i mean obviously, and when i mean culture i'm talking about, right you know whether it's clothing uh, or obviously clothing you guys are a fashion PR as well um but I mean just overall like where segments are going and spending their time and definitely I think I mean it's a big deal because it's you know that's what it shapes so much of travel and one of the reasons that a lot of the brands that we work with what like I was saying earlier they're luxury but they're not just your traditional champagne wishes caviar dreams you know gilded ceilings kind that's of such luxury. a clear clear picture in my head <laughs> when you say that <laughs> but you know that's what people think of as luxury yeah. and now luxury is really different i mean there's the cheesy there's the luxury of time but there's also mm-hmm. these experiences that people people really want more immersive travel experiences than i think they did before it's less of an escape people really want to know where they are it's one of the better things that millennials have done i feel like we get a bad rep but there's that is one good thing is that really wanting to know more about a destination and get off the beaten track and maybe it's just to have the coolest instagram but it's still trying new things and Mm -hmm. getting involved in local culture so knowing that and knowing what is you know is driving people and is interesting i think is great and then also just to be aware of not committing some major gaffe you kind of need to know of you know, you there's a lot of issues with cultural appropriation. And when you're traveling or you're a travel brand promoting your destination, you have to be careful about how you promote things. And, you know, maybe it seems like a great idea to have someone dress up in local costume, but maybe not. Maybe it's offensive. Right. So I think you do have to sort of be aware of, especially in a day where, you know, something goes viral pretty quickly. So if you're sure. if you're not smart about how you communicate it. So there's that side of culture, too, is important to know. What's the best way to get ahead of negative reviews? Reviews in terms of... Uh, travel is massive on reviews. Right, right? okay. So, I wasn't sure if you meant like bad press generally or no, just like a just bad review. No, just user reviews I on think a lot forms. that we've noticed is personal interaction, actually speaking to that person, responding to their review, seeing what was happening. And then, so then everyone realizes that you're not only taking a personal interest and you're addressing it, but that it's also been fixed. 
So seeing what a problem is and changing it. And also, luckily, people, you know, there's the South Park episode about Yelp. People know that there's a level of it doesn't all it needs to be taken with a grain of salt. So I think if you're showing that you're taking an interest, but not worrying about every little thing, you know, some people are complaining about things that you have no control over, that the weather was bad. It's like, you know, I'm sorry you didn't have a great time, but, you know, we hope you come back when, you know, when it's sunny here, something like that. There's a good time as any, I guess, to take a break. And when we return, it's our final segment, uh, which means personal questions with uh, Off the Beaten Path. We'll be right back. If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. To explore opportunities to partner, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to Travel Is Your Business. It is time for personal questions with... Off the Beaten Path. That's right. It's Off the Beaten Path, where we ask personal questions in random order with the help of our trusty flight attendant. Passenger Samantha Shankman, please press your call button. Samantha Shankman, welcome back to the show. <laughs> hey, everyone. <clears throat> so the question, if you could, you work in travel PR, but if you could have a different role within the travel industry or work in a different part of it, what would you want to be doing? Um, I would want to be a travel blogger, get paid to go places and put up ridiculous content. Is that still something that people are doing i have i work with monaco and we've had journalists that are journalists is loose term sorry bloggers for this person who wanted to go wanted us to fly them first class them and their bodyguard first class for all we're already offering an amazing trip in monaco flights the whole experience is everything you've been to monaco you know it's amazing needed a bodyguard, also needed to be flown first class and have their own room. I was like, in Monaco, first off, I don't even really know who you are. Monaco definitely doesn't know who you are. And it's like (laughs) the safest place on earth. There's more police officers and cameras per capita. Like no crimes are committed. People leave their keys in their Ferraris in Monaco. Like you don't need a bodyguard. And she got very snippy. So yes, (laughs) I want to be that person. (laughs) I'm going to be such a jerk to all the publicists. Did they end up actually getting... No, I said no. (laughs) And do you pay... with that? Do they have just the free trip or do you also pay them? I refuse to pay for things like that. If it's just you're getting a trip, if you're creating content for us and we're then you're providing a separate service. But if it's just you going and experience and posting on your own channels, then I think the fact that you just got a free trip to Monaco and your hotels, and I mean, it's one of the most amazing destinations in the world. It has so many, Mich- like all your meals are Michelin, star- they have Michelin star room service. I mean, place. come on. Yeah, so <laughs> although you can see it in different ways, I will yeah. say it's still a small like Riviera village at its you heart. You are a PR pro. I I have been to Monaco, I think, like, <laughs> 10 times now. I yeah. have a soft spot in my heart for it. Like, it, you know. Nice. But anyway, yeah. 
but I, I, I don't believe in paying for when it's just for that. If I'm paying you because you're, you're doing something, you're writing or you're creating something or it's a partnership, then yeah, of course you should. I think everyone should get paid for their creative work. But if you're just going for a free vacation, I shouldn't have to pay you to take a vacation. <laughs> but when I'm a blogger, I'm going to get paid. Absolutely. absolutely. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And our next question goes to ladies and gentlemen, would passenger John Matson please report to gate 23A. Hey. Um, <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> Kick this jukebox. Um, uh, Sarah, where are you from? I am from Northern California. Northern California. Mm-hmm. If you had the opportunity, where would you, based on all your travel experiences, where would you choose to be from? Where would you choose to have grown up? New York. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Why? A, I think born and bred New Yorkers are just cool. Oh, thanks, girl. I do. They like have a totally different vibe. But I grew up in Northern California, moved all over. My parents worked in tech. So back when that was, you know, not as popular as it is now, I was born in Mountain View. We lived in oh, every damn. tech city you can think of. I've been in, lived in Los Gatos and, and Campbell, all over. And then went to school in L.A. And I thought I liked L.A. when I lived there. But I was in school, and anywhere you go to school is totally different. I went to Loyola Marymount, and it's beautiful. You're, like, on a golf course by a beach. Like, how could you not love it? And then I very randomly moved to New York as soon as I graduated and just fell in love with it immediately. I realized I totally love being here. It fits with my personality so much better. It was so comfortable that, yeah, I would. I want to keep living here, so I don't see why I wouldn't have just started here in the first place. Cool. How— how difficult was it to make the transition to actually set up your life here? Because so many people think it's so difficult to make it in New York or move here. I wouldn't say that it's not difficult. I think it's just much more personality based. Some people love this city. Some people don't. People ask me all the time, you know, New York versus California, New York versus L.A. And honestly, while I do love New York well, more, it's just, different. It's just I, mean, I think my personality, it fits here. It's comfortable. But my trajectory was very I said it was random I finished school I was a year a grade same age but I finished a year earlier than a lot of my friends because mm-hmm. I'm young for my grade and um I said that like I was still in school I felt yeah um so I was a year young last so to I drive last to drink yeah I mean I didn't you know I started college when I was 17 so I you know I finished early but they all had mm-hmm. a year left and they lived in New York and needed another roommate because they had a three bedroom with four girls in it and needed a fifth. Of course. And so I just... On the sixth floor of a walk-up. No, it was in a horrible lower, no windows in Chinatown oh, apartment. <laughs> it was... Well, there was a window to a courtyard that was lower. So there was like some indirect light occasionally. And you got here and said, this is my spot. This is... I love, I love it here. It here. <laughs> no, but I, you know, I can live like this forever. <laughs> No, we only lived there for eight months. And I was like, how have you guys done this for four years? As soon as Elise was up, we moved to Williamsburg. But, um, but no, I, I sold my car and used that money to come here. I spent the summer. I actually, my first month, it was the month leading up to my birthday. My friends were all away for the summer. So I was here by myself for a month. So I decided my, I was going to learn the city by figuring out what cake I wanted for my birthday. So I walked to every bakery in Manhattan and that's how I learned the city. I chose my favorite and that's what I had for my birthday. Which one's your favorite? Sugar Sweet Sunshine in the Lower East Side. It won by a mile. 
And so that's how I got to know the city. They all came. And mm. then I had enough money basically for to live like four or five months until I got a job. Had no idea what I wanted to do. Was kind of interviewing for everything. And I sort of fell into PR, which I thought I would never do because in LA, all my friends wanted to do PR, but it was for, you know, celebrities. And it sounded miserable. And I was like, I would never do that. Then it turns out you can do travel PR and just get to go amazing places and learn interesting things. And that was that. All right. And the last question, of course. Attention, ladies and gentlemen, with passenger Puff and Ball, please press your call button for the flight attendant. Falls to me. Make it good. <laughs> <laughs> what are some travel routines that you do that, that, that you like to explore? So you mentioned just now you walked around and sought out uh, different bakeries in New York. I enjoy going out and looking for street art, and that's my way of seeing mm. cities. What is a way that you um, structure your exploration? Well, I, I'm a big believer in the Google map. The Google map. Oh, yeah. I mm. am serious <laughs> about my Google maps. They are very sought after. It's, it's a big thing for me. Uh, it's probably okay. a defining feature of my life, to be honest. So what do you mean by that? So what I do is anytime I read anything, hear anything, see anything about anywhere... I mark it in my Google map. So anytime, you know, Eater puts out their mm -hmm. heat map, all yeah. those restaurants get flagged in my Google maps. Anytime I read an article where someone mentions a restaurant they went to or a hotel or a thing that they did, all goes in the map. So whenever I'm in a city, just sort of pull up my map and plan one thing I want to do for the day and then just... And then figure it out. For yeah. Me. So it's, you know, oh, I really wanted to go to this museum. Then it's after that, just sort of go into the map and see what's around. What's a place that I've been wanting to try out? So I go to different places and, and explore so much more because it's sort of like confined freedom. You know, I can do whatever, but I always have a place to go because the worst is when you're walking around and you get to that point where you're starving and you don't know where you are and you know you're just like a block away from a restaurant. From an amazing you can do place. that in New York yeah. too where you're walking down one street and you're like, oh, I mean, I guess I'll have, you know, whatever boring food and it turns out that, you know, 50 paces the other direction was something Would awesome. Been something that you just... on your wish list. Exactly. So I, mm. I love the map because it lets me to lets me discover things and, and try things and then I save everything I do and then I share it with other people and I love that part of it too of then sharing my experiences with other people so that they can do them too all right well thank you so much for thank sharing all. all of your insights that was fantastic um really really pleasure to have you so reflecting on either this conversation or overall your work in the industry is there a final thought that you want to leave our listeners with that's that's a lot of Deep. pressure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Proust questionnaire or something. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite color? Green. Perfect. No. <laughs> oh, now what's it? your final yes. thought? <laughs> um, I guess what I mean I love about travel and I hope that other people start exploring is just the all the different ways that you can interact and how it becomes a part of everything that you do. I think that there's so much now people get so kind of caught up in one little bubble, but I think it's really interesting. Like I was saying, it's, it's cool to be informed now. And I just love that. And I love that now people are exploring in very different ways and understanding cultures. And that's more what travel is about as opposed to just, I like that trend much more than I like just the pretty picture, the, the cool story. So I think that's really interesting. And I like to, hope that that's PR is helping to tell that story. So that's what I try and do. And I hope more people kind of go in that vein of travel. Can you end it with a stay woke? 
I, I will not. <laughs> hashtag. Hashtag stay woke. <laughs> and what is the best way that folks can follow you and your work at BPCM? I think, of course, our website, bpcm.com, or our company Instagram is at bpcm. And mine is just my name, Sarah Palak, but I don't promise a lot of exciting content. So don't get too excited. Perfect. Well, that's it for this episode of Travel Is Your Business. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being on the show. Really tremendous. I hope, uh, I I know that everyone got a a really great lesson and uh, some inspiration out of this talk. Awesome. Thank you all for having me. So for Samantha Shankman. Safe travels. And John Matson, Bon voyage. I'm Pub and Ball. We hope you enjoyed your stay with us, and we'll see you next time. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.